some of them seek the fountain of youth. That's an old tradition in Florida. To the sunshine of Florida comes a distinguished vacationer, Winston Churchill. The president-elect finishes his impromptu talk when... Would you look at that? You stuck around for episode two of Why Are We Like This, the podcast where the entire state of Florida is just one big active crime scene, a microdose of the American experience. And I'm joined by my host, uh, co-host, Gerald. Gerald, how are you? I'm well. How are you? And Tomas. Hey, hey. How are y'all? This week, we're going to take a trip into Florida's uh, storied and chaotic past, exploring our origin myths in search of something that can serve as a little bit of a coda to help understand exactly why the state is like this and why we're like this and why we're subject to um, to those conditions. To help us out, lend some historical perspective, we decided the smartest thing to do when we're just getting our shit together and trying to figure out how we want our podcast to be is to just invite on a really high profile podcaster, somebody who we don't really know that well and uh, fuck up a lot in front of him. So we are joined by Matt Chrisman of Chapo Trap House. Matt, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. Matt, Like, what is your outsider perspective just broadly of florida as a state and as a punchline i guess uh well i've only been there a few times uh been to orlando a couple times to go to disney world with the fam been to tampa when i was in college for a couple days but that's basically it and that's that's i'm comfortable with that that's about as much florida as i think i need i'm going to be going (laughs) there again uh in october we're doing a show in fort lauderdale uh, so that'll be my first time seeing the tip of Florida, just the tip. So for, for all the folks who are listening and want to show up at Matt's at Matt's and Chapo Trap House's show, that's going to be on October 30th at Revolution in Fort Lauderdale, which is a very fun venue um, as far as Fort Lauderdale goes, at least. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go see you guys in that show. Is that the first time you guys are doing the show in Florida? Oh, yeah. And probably the last. So real, I mean, it might not be there <laughs> long enough for us to have another one. Yeah. Get your pictures now. The pictures will last longer than the fucking state itself. Yeah. Uh, so let's get into it. Um, today, anybody who's been to St. Augustine knows that it's a tacky, overrated tourist destination. It spends half the year flooded, the entire year smelling like piss. It's the ideal vacation spot for Americans who appreciate early Spanish colonial architecture but who don't want to profane their ears by actually having to hear people speak Spanish. So 509 years ago, though, it was something entirely different. When Juan Ponce de Leon came ashore on April 2nd of 1513 in search of the mythical Fountain of Youth, which I don't think he ever found, uh, the humid tropical coastline was was all marshland, completely different than it is now. Uh, Eight years later, he returned with the intention of colonizing the territory and caught a poisoned arrow in the leg for his trouble. And that Spanish sortie beat a hasty retreat to Cuba where he died. And this would begin sort of what would be a long-standing tradition of, of us perpetrating violence against our tourists, which we still do uh, for fun and for profit. Um, but today, Ponce de Leon is buried at the Cathedral Metropolitana Basilica in Puerto Rico, which is right next to a really cool bookstore, if any of you ever find yourselves over there uh, in Old San Juan. Um, but it's not settled that Ponce de Leon was even the first European to spot Florida. The Cantino Planisphere is the earliest surviving map illustrating Portuguese geographic discoveries. It contains a peninsular-shaped landmass located northwest of Cuba, commonly thought to be sort of an early portrayal of Florida. And uh, that predated uh, Ponce de Leon's trip by about 10 years. Um, but either way, Ponce de Leon and his possible Portuguese predecessors were far from the first to populate the Sunshine State. Because when in 1492, 
there was an estimated 350,000 native peoples that were already there and had been there for, for thousands of years. Um, Matt, do you have any familiarity with the Cantino planisphere? Have you ever studied that particular uh, cartography that uh, I guess was like early Portuguese um, uh, understanding of the shape of the globe? Uh, no. Uh, what did Florida look like in it? Was it, is, was it, it kind looked, of chody and uh, skinny? What was the deal? Exactly. Yeah, I can actually show you. It was very chody like that. Oh. Over the over oh, here, okay. this area is supposed yeah. to be Florida because this is Cuba. Right. So I guess the, um, the, and then there are some schools of thought that say that this was just like an, an early understanding of, um, of the Yucatan Peninsula, which it also kind of looks like a little bit, but uh, you know, giving the Portuguese the benefit of the doubt, you can call it Florida, I suppose. Pre-colonial Florida was split among those indigenous people. Um, it, was not the seminal like many people think, but actually the Pensacola, Apalachee, Guale, Timucua, Potano, just a bunch of different tribes. And north of Daytona Beach, north of Orlando, they were uh, people that relied a lot on cultivating maize and then and corn, as you would call it, uh, Tomas. Um, and then they the, the, down here in the south, though, it was much more um, sort of not less agriculture and far more like estuarian and uh, sort of like living off of the land as opposed to actually cultivating any of the land. And one thing I, I thought was interesting in, in reading up for this was how they adapted to storms and hurricanes, which obviously occurred back then. They just didn't have buildings and they would re rebuild much more easily, obviously than, than we can these days. And uh, I, I just kind of found that to be interesting in, in that, Maybe that's something that we can learn from as we continually get our houses knocked over year after, you know, year after year as new record storms come through. Um, so I, that kind of brings us up to I, I, one, one thing I wanted to talk about with you, Matt, was like the, the that I'm woefully lacking in knowledge of is is the, the time that Andrew Jackson spent down here um, and the, the first Seminole War and kind of how that played out in in uh you know in florida and how it sort of set this like bloody tone for even through today and even through like the 20th century what what um what transpired there and i didn't go to school down here and if i did i probably still wouldn't have learned it but like what what, what happened during the um the seminal war and andrew jackson's campaign as sort of like florida's first military governor is that something that you have a lot of familiarity with i mean a bit it's uh it's interesting because it is the most expensive, uh, the, the most brutal, uh, and the most uh, high casualty uh, Indian war that America fought. Uh, and it's the one that they kind of didn't technically win uh, because uh, some of the uh, Seminoles who uh, resisted uh, the Americans were never formally uh, surrendered because it was such a uh, inhospitable territory. It really was America's first Vietnam in a sense. And uh, it was part of the broader uh, effort to pry uh, Florida away from Spain and then to uh, occupy it with American forces. Uh, Andrew Jackson, when he was there, uh, he found a couple of uh, British subjects who were there uh, ostensibly trading uh, with the Spanish uh, colonial authorities, and he unilaterally hanged them 
which caused a huge diplomatic row and became uh, of Jackson's first real controversy. And he spent the rest of his career uh, with a remaining grievance in his pocket about anybody who condemned him uh, for what he did. It was part of his uh, general and deep hatred of British people that extended from uh, receiving a cutlass uh, blow from a British officer during the Revolutionary War when he was a teenager. And he would go on to not be very controversial as a, as a, as a not at all or anything like that. No, no. <laughs> um, later on, Florida obviously became the 27th state on March 3rd, 1845, and almost half of the population at that time were enslaved people. Uh, many of whom had fled other southern states in search of freedom. And following the Third Seminole War, the Seminole attack on Fort Myers, uh, after which the majority of Seminoles were brutally forced to Indian territory. And at this time, Florida had one of the highest per capita murder rates, which um, sounds familiar for a lot of us who still live here, due largely to the lack of central governance, which kind of also sounds familiar for those of us that still live here. Uh, And it was still, um, I suppose like kind of a backwater and pretty lightly populated by, by the, 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 um, by, by the context of that day. Right. I mean, Florida was not in the revolutionary war pre revolution or sorry, in the civil war pre civil war era. It wasn't like a key player, um, nationally, was it? Yeah, no, Florida didn't really have much to do during the civil war. There were some Florida units, in the Confederate Army, and it's always funny when you re- you're reading about a battle, and then you read about you know the Tenth Florida showing up or something, and you just imagine a bunch of guys in Bermuda shorts, uh, you know, or like uh, like parrot heads with uh, with with muskets. Just a lot of Jimmy Buffett fans just popping mm-hmm. into. Uh, <laughs> um, which I mean, when when you say that, actually, like I was reading about um, how the majority of the shores were blockaded during the Civil War. And I just imagine like a Trump flotilla of people that just can't get out of, uh, you know, out of the Gulf of Mexico or can't, you know, can't help but keep capsizing everywhere because of their like kind of riding through each other's wakes and, and capsizing their, uh, you know, half million dollar yachts. Man, I'm, now I'm just imagining uh, the monitor just chugging around through a beautiful boater flotilla and just wiping them out. <laughs> uh, the, the, they should have insurance for that. Matt, was there any um, effort or is there any record of like secessionists or, or Southern forces trying to replicate the guerrilla tactics that the Seminoles employed in Florida or in any of these like inhospitable terrains? Uh, I mean, not really, because there were no real union forces for them to really even fight down there. Uh, it's an interesting question because there, there of course, was uh, guerrilla uh, tactics employed by irregular Confederate sympathizing units, uh, but largely in Appalachia. So it's interesting to imagine what they would do down in the swamp. But yeah, Florida was mostly just hanging out, getting blockaded, and then surrendering. So after the war, during Reconstruction, Florida was readmitted, or just prior to Reconstruction, uh, Florida was readmitted to the Union in 1868. And people still didn't really care that much about the state. It was still sort of backwater status. Um, And that inattention allowed Democrats to sort of retake power in the state legislature pretty quickly, uh, I think, relative to, you know, other southern states. And that would begin what would become a longstanding practice of sort of rigging elections, subjugation of black residents and subjugation of, you know, native residents, too. 
um, by the start of the 20th century, Florida's population was a little more than half a million. And that presaged what was going to be this really big population boom within the next 20 years, thanks mostly to uh, industrialist Henry Flagler, who all of us down here know about, um, and the Florida East Coast Railway, which had connected the state all the way down to Key West by 1912. Um, it's hard to imagine what this state must have been like before interstates, um, what it must have been like before roads. And, you know, it, it's everything down here. Uh, it's it's so obvious if you spend any time in Miami that like this is not a place where people are supposed to live. Like human beings no. aren't supposed to be here. And it's just that 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 would begin, I think, like this the first real incursion of man into this area where like, no, there's not supposed to be beyond just the lightly sparsely populated areas where where tribes live, not really supposed to be people here. Yeah, it's a real affront to God. I mean, and that really is the story of uh, American manifestation. Which is actually our city motto. Our city motto in Miami is affront to God. Because it's like it's not just Florida where where humans really shouldn't be living. Uh, the the big westward push that is so romanticized as America's uh, frontier heritage was largely a heedless gamble uh, and in most cases land swindle uh, to get people to settle and farm in places that did not have anywhere near the precipitation to uh, facilitate the sort of uh, intense cultivation that happened. Uh, east of the Mississippi. And nobody found that out until they already got there. And at that point, it's too late. And uh, they essentially forced this, uh, forced a social structure onto this inhospitable territory. Uh, I mean, in, in, I believe the winter of 1888, there was a storm in the Dakotas that, that killed hundreds of people, just cut through their homes. It didn't matter if they had a fire or anything. Uh, and there was nothing anyone could do about it. Uh, but they were mostly square-headed Scandinavian immigrants, so it didn't really matter. Uh, but then, of course, once America, you know, is settled uh, into a continental power, then after World War II and the invention of the air conditioning, they start moving uh, into the Sun Belt, another place that's just even less, a place that's less hospitable than the Plains have been, and just forcing, using technological capacity, uh, privatized, of course, instead of used for some public good to just turn these places into uh, a, a spider web network of, of uh, infrastructurally connected by roads and, and airports, affront to God. It's an affront to God yeah. belt, basically, that runs diagonally from the penis tip of Florida uh, into the, Moha- the Mojave Desert and, and uh, 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 yeah, the Great Plains. Yeah, there's you know there's a story about Henry Flagler. I'm sure you've heard it, but you know the 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 way that he was convinced into building you know like the railroad and expanding into Florida was because somebody brought him an orange from Florida in the dead of winter, and he was like, we can make some money there. You know, there's a lot of crops that we can build there, and it just kind of like, I think it's comparable to you know people like. Um, I don't know, it's like like uh, Elon Musk, right? Who has been talking for years about building, you know, a, a tunnel system of, you know, for his stupid like car thing in Miami through the limestone. You know, just these billionaires Brilliant who idea. are completely divorced from like the reality of just like the environmental and societal context of where they want to enact these like madman projects. 
and they will just use their immense wealth to just make it happen at all costs, independent of just like who is already there, the environmental impact, the societal impact. I don't know. I just see like, like the echo of history repeating itself with these, just these like insane people who just push their vision upon the rest of us. Yeah, it's a, a nation of and for con artists because it is a, just a giant uh, speculative land uh, scam. That's all America has ever really been. I mean, from the beginning, uh, 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 George Washington was first, before he was anything else, he was a surveyor and land speculator. That was his entire raison d'etre, and it went from there. And that means, at the end of the day, trying to get somebody to uh, pay more for some parcel of land than there is any value to be found on it. Yeah, Matt, I've heard you actually describe this before in in really resonant terms where you, you, you described that whole era as this political project where whenever um, pressure would build up, it, you just open up more land and give people mm-hmm. more land to go after and to chase after. Yes. And, and for a long time, it was the sole real source of revenue for the United States government was land sales um, because there was that uh, Jeffersonian and then later Jacksonian hostility to uh, tariffs and taxes that left there really nothing to do but uh, for the government to uh, collect a, a obviously a r- ridiculously low price uh, for the land that they held, which was then sold and resold by speculators who, of course, took that yeoman fantasy of equal, you know, uh, a, a, a barony of barons, everyone with their own little fiefdom, and pretty quickly turned it into a reproduction of, of, uh, of uh, like capitalists domination uh, over uh, uh, like over the resources in this case, the, the land uh, uh, of the new territory. Yeah. And we still see a lot of that. I mean, like that's in a way kind of still happening here, uh, Tomas, because like every couple of years, what are they trying to do? Move the development boundary deeper into the Everglades, try to find more swamp to drain more land to create and oh well if this house on this side of 137th avenue is all of a sudden worth a million dollars why don't we build a whole neighborhood of those million dollar houses on this other side yeah sure maybe there's a um there's an entire uh, you know swamp of crocodiles there right now or alligators there right now but you know we can we can fix that we've fixed that in the past um so at this point we see a a, a pretty big influx of of like what would become known as the Florida cracker uh, movement coming down people who don't mind mosquitoes and don't mind uh, chopping their way through um, pretty shitty scrubland blazing the trail to make this ambitious uh, urban development that would slowly over the course of the next hundred years become places like Miami, places like um, Orlando, uh, Tampa, other, you know, pretty heavily populated urban core areas that, that define Miami now. But again, they ran into the same problem that they had always run into, which was those pesky black, brown, and native people that happened to be here first, that were here before them, that were here building things before they even arrived. Um, today, we're kind of like ground zero for some of the more arcane and sinister voter suppression efforts that happen. But that tradition has really deep roots down here. It's not new. It didn't come here with Ron DeSantis or, or Rick Scott. You can look back in November 2nd, Election Day of 1920 in Central Florida. It was marred by a brutal uh, spate of violence that left at least 50 black residents dead. 
They were murdered by whites who were furious over the recent passage of their voting rights. Um, today, we call it the Okoe Massacre, purged the city, which today borders Orlando uh, to the west. It's, uh, it's entire, it, it had no black residents for 60 years following that, that, uh, that, that, that massacre. And um, sadly, that particular act of terrorism has yet to be portrayed on the silver screen by Damon Lindelof uh, in Watchmen. So nobody knows about that one. That's the, uh, that's the one that maybe he's saving for season two of Watchmen if it doesn't get canceled. Um, but you also won't learn about it in our public schools either because we don't teach that down here. Uh, Matt, are you aware of, 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 of much of that? Or like there was also the, the Florida terror, the bombing campaigns that were happening sort of, sort of uh, contemporaneously during all that period? I mean, not not specifically. I, that's definitely something that is not terribly uh, well known anywhere. And yeah, like it, 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 Florida has it's it's the civil rights movement and the suppression of uh, of black people in Florida is buried along with all of Florida's non uh, touristic uh, history. Really, uh, it is amazing how because it is considered sort of this pleasure dome for America's middle class uh, that. That it, it that more even than most places in America, it, it has no history that we can yeah. draw on because nobody was there until you know the retirees showed up. Like nobody was really there. Nobody who counted. Nobody who could be considered you know part of a broader American project. Yeah, and nobody wants it to you know to your point. Nobody wants that kind of history to yuck their young. They want to just pretend that this was like a magical tropical land that was just founded. Uh, you know, <laughs> like 1980 or something like that. But prior to that, there was the murder of the activist um, Harry T. Moore. Uh, I don't know if, if if any of you have read that story, but he was the first N- NAACP official assassinated in the civil rights era. And uh, they, the Ku Klux Klan, which by then had like laid down pretty solid roots in Florida at this in, in this time, um, bombed his house, killed him and his wife. Uh, in, in, in an area that was not very far, just a couple of miles away from where Trayvon Martin would be killed like 70 years later, 60 years later. So it's like a deep, bloody, but consistent history. Amendment 4 passed in 2018, right? Restored voting rights to 1.5 million, you know, like people with prior felony convictions. The legislature decided to fuck with it. They passed an implementation bill that basically, you know, messed up the whole process, established a, a, a fines and fees that needed to be paid for people to get their voting rights back. And what DeSantis has done now, I don't know if you've been following this, they basically arrested people that committed election Yeah, fraud. I saw that. That was wild. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is that the local supervisors of elections told these people that they could vote because the implementation bill that was passed was so fucked up and the state bureaucracy has no real way of sifting through the records of who has paid their fines and fees. Because remember, a lot of these these convictions are from decades ago. These are paper records. They're not in the digital system. The digital systems haven't been inputted correctly. So there was no way of tracking who has actually you know gone through the process yet and who has paid all their f- fines and fees, if any. So again, the SOEs told these people that they could vote. And then they went out, they thought they could vote, a lot of them, 18, I think, out of 20. And then the state decided to, you know, play politics with them and go arrest them on charges of election frauds, which a lot of cases can be felonies. You know, so it's just 
it's just disgusting. And, and again, I just think, it, you know, it just echoes into everything that David was talking about, you know, this history of just like brutalizing, you know, working class populations, but largely like black populations and just using them again to just play like these horrible political games with them. Well, that's the same way that they catch anybody for crimes, right? Like it's all entrapment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like entrapping people is how you get convictions. Like it's, these assholes don't know how to solve crimes. So it makes sense that they would use the same tactics here to, to enforce this, uh, this like deeply intimidating uh, uh, campaign with, that has the explicit purpose of uh, keeping uh, people who are not comfortable with the law uh, for very good reasons that have nothing to do with their criminal record from voting. Uh, and yeah, like that, that's what's so, uh, I guess, inevitable and horrifying about DeSantis is that he is the inevitable result of Trumpism because Trump is this breach with politics that comes uh, sort of as a black swan because you can't, the political system can't account for a figure as singular as Trump to take uh, it over. It's just, it's, it's inconceivable. You can't plan for a thing like that because it would make it impossible for you to, to function day to day. Uh, but it created this new reality, and and you know because he is singular, there was nobody to fill the breach but regular politicians, and they saw that if they were going to harness the lightning there, that Trump was unleashing with the base and and with a declassified and uh, or I'm sorry that uh, a reclassified and sort of de racially polarized, maybe not for black people so much, but definitely for Latinos, that's incredibly valuable for them. Uh, and how are you going to make it into something uh, that can transcend one man? And DeSantis's play is take everything that is just an ambient grievance that goes into the red, the 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 um, the sort of chant of of a uh, uh, complaint yeah. that Trump is Trump uh, represents. Like, hey guys, here's your chance to uh, vote for someone who will simply embody your own grievance. Yeah. Uh, and really, that's all they need. But uh, that's because he's Trump. If you want to be a, a non-charismatic, uh, fucking Sharpay-looking dork with a squeaky voice like Ron DeSantis, and you want to get that lightning, you have to have results. So you take those grievances and actually do something about them. Yeah. And because Florida is the this is the rotten floorboard uh, in America, uh, of course, he's able to just with uh, with after getting basically no mandate in a 50-50 race, uh, just take over the entire uh, apparatus of governance and direct it towards building a policy around MAGA. Uh, but, you know, that isn't the whole of the appeal, and there is a real question in the national level, not maybe in Florida, because you guys might be fucked, I'm sorry, uh, whether that is that is acceptable and digestible outside of that context, because... You know, DeSantis ain't Trump in every way. Yeah, yeah. a lot of his political project is like coming up and say, "Hey guys, remember how we hate? Um, you know that there's a black Little Mermaid now. Well, yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm gonna fuck over Disney. How does that well, make you well, feel? Right. You know? actually, Trump, actually, Trump doesn't have to actually do anything. He can just be like, "They've got a black. There's a there's a black Little Mermaid, folks. What's going on? That's all they need. When I was a to kid, love him and vote for Republicans. Well, you remember so, when? You remember in the nineties? She was she was a white girl. She was nice. 
You remember? She's beautiful. She had red hair. <laughs> and then when she got the legs, remember when she would get the legs? She had wonderful legs. They're saying some of the best legs we've ever legs seen. Legs for days. <laughs> but Matt, I actually, actually want to uh, uh, chew a little bit on what you said because you talked about intimidation. So going back to the, you know, this this stuff that happened with the, with the former felons, right? They, they held that press conference where you are going to go do a show in Broward County. And it's, they did that on purpose yeah. because that is the, the most democratic, bluest county in the state, right? So you, you, yeah, it's entrapment, but rarely do you see like a governor make such a circus and a spectacle of the entrapment in such an obvious way. But right. they, they in Florida, you know, they, you, you all have talked about the Proud Boys a lot in your show, right? And I think there's like. A, a, a tendency to dismiss them as like, you know, people that are just like idiots or whatever. But in Florida, they've really become an instrument of the state. And I swear I'm not being hyperbolic. They have become their like the little like black shirts or brown shirts of the DeSantis administration. And I'll give you an example. So last week, the Miami-Dade County School Board took a vote on whether to redesignate actually October as LGBTQ History Month, something that was already been approved, by the way. So this is there's already a president right. and established. It's been established. Did it last year? Yeah, the, only the sponsor of the item voted for it, even though most of the school board has always voted on this. And it was because, and it's funny you mentioned the Latinos. The school board was flooded. Hundreds of people, so hundreds of mostly Latinos, which as a Latino was embarrassing yeah. and shameful for me, of just the most homophobic, most vitriolic stuff about groomers and pedophiles and turning our kids trans and trans ideology just for hours, for like 12 hours at the school board. They, they were like literally like masses of Proud Boys outside of the school board right. just, you know intimidating people yelling at them to even you know, walk into even walk into that public meeting you have to go through a phalanx of proud boys like you like yeah the, the, of, fred, yeah. of what is it fred perry polo wearing perry assholes shirt. yeah and like and they succeeded and they sizing succeeded. you up they, sizing they were, you up to see yeah. if you have any of those cultural indicators that you're a target shopper instead of a walmart shopper yeah. and if you're too yeah. target then you're you're going to be you know called out you're going to yeah. be harassed and it's it's insane it, but it's absolutely 100 percent allowed and endorsed but, yeah but there's a synergy there because they succeeded in stop there's no lgbtq history month now you know and i think that matters you know i think that matters in our school system and they and it happens on a lot of issues where whether you're seeing these people intimidate very aggressively to to avoid to 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 keep the public you know away from these issues to prevent people from showing up to prevent people from speaking out and to stop elected officials from doing, you know, taking courageous stances because they're afraid. They're afraid of the governor removing them from office and they're afraid of these people targeting them, doxing them, showing up at their houses. So, yeah, Florida is is, is getting rough, man. <laughs> I mean, the way I see it, there is this Floridification of America occurring. Yeah. Florida is like the most uh, extreme example of it. And yes, it's the place where Trumpism is turned into a actual logic of governance mm. and not just a spectacle of governance. And that is clearly extending even beyond Florida as it deepens there. Uh, and the really the only political question going forward is where does that stabilize? And then once it stabilizes, in which direction does it go? Because uh, if 
I can see a situation. I think that everyone, the, the hope of, of of everyone from liberals to, to socialists to communists, is that at some point that uh, process is reversed. Uh, that the that that like the states where this happens, you know, uh, there is a sufficient political uh, counter formation to resist it. Because the reason it's deepening this quickly is because there's nothing in its place. Because there is only the rotten liberal state, and there is no popular resistance to it, because we don't have a left in this country. Uh, the question is whether one is going to be built up in the process of resisting this thing. Um, and I would say the most likely situation, though, because the left side is so behind the eight ball, is that you see a deepening of Floridification across the country until you get not a revolution or a coup or, or a Trumpian world regime, but a breakup of the United States, not formally, perhaps, uh, but a, uh, a recognition, a de facto recognition of separate uh, legal zones. Yeah. And then you're going to see people with the money moving between them. The final vote is going to be a, a vote with your feet. And of course, poor people, the poorest people are not going to be able to move. They're going to be stuck there under the re, some regime of exploitation uh, with some uh, cultural uh, costuming. Uh, and But you'll, you'll just see uh, different regimes of uh, like neoliberal subjugation with a different... Um, package of cultural scapegoats to be ritually destroyed in addition to everybody who's being mulched by uh, the the proletarianization and, and end point of uh, of uh, profit and that's kind of that's further complicated when you overlay the effects the more near-term effects of climate change especially down here in Miami right I mean that's the funny thing it's like what if Florida is like oh no DeSantis is gonna take over uh, oh no uh, hurricane uh, Steve showed up and it's not a place anymore don't worry about it yeah yeah and and again that's and that's the biggest worry down here in Miami uh, Tomas that we always talk about is when that moment comes when you know the water comes in and it doesn't go back out and, and it's like like honestly people like me people like you are going to be able to figure something out right we'll be able to make some sort of you know claim on our ruined homes and go through the fucking legal process of of trying to become whole and you know going to raleigh north carolina or fucking whatever the next shithole is but uh millions of people not just in miami dade which is like the poorest major metropolitan area in this country but millions of people around the state are not going to be able to do that they're not going to be able to vote with their feet they're not going to be able to to, to, to do shit about it and they're going to be at the mercy of fema good fucking luck so that's that's a that's a great note <laughs> look can't wait yeah, wonderful. can't wait for that to happen <laughs> well i mean get if you're gonna have a florida-based podcast yeah. i think you're gonna get used we to talk it. about it a lot you gotta no, get it gotta gotta we harden our heart uh gotta figure out a way to like uh reverse and end on a high note because otherwise it's just well, gonna be isn't that literally the apocalypse? The end yeah. on a high note? <laughs> Ending on a yeah, high note, yeah. <laughs> I can kind of tee us off Leave on a high wanting note. more. <laughs> no, I can kind of tee us off on a high note, though, because we actually just interviewed, uh, you know, I don't know if you know her, but a state rep here, Kalanis Kamani. She's pretty progressive. Um, she's literally, she's as progressive as you're allowed to be in the state of Florida, yeah. like yeah. without being yeah, but she's just thrown good. in the back of a pickup truck. Yeah, and she talked about how, you know, Florida does have actually like an anti-elite populist streak to its politics. That's why you can have Donald Trump win the state by four points in the 2020 election, 
as we also approve a valid initiative to raise the state's minimum wage to $15 an hour with minimal support from the Florida Democratic Party, right? Like that did happen. And, you know, when you look at our history, you know, you look at people like Governor Ruben Askew, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but it's somebody who, you know, established this the, the state's first corporate income tax, right? And, and took on a lot of the corporate interest in the 1970s. That corporate income tax has been, you know, gutted since then by, you know, both Democrat and, and mostly Republican administrations since the late 90s. But do, do you have like a sense of Florida as an anti-elitist populist place throughout its history? And, you know, I think it's something that like the Republicans in a lot of way are aware of, whether it's Marco Rubio, you know, like pretending to be like a pro-labor, like anti-Amazon guy, as he has been in the last couple of years, or Ron DeSantis, you know, talking about the Zoom class, you know, the elitist workers who are who make up the Zoom class. I, I think they are able to catch on to that in a very performative way without actually delivering the goods for working people. But the Democrats, except for a handful, have not been able to articulate that position as effectively. Well, they can't at all. I mean, that's the thing that makes, I think, the reason people are so uh, scared is because they can't see, they cannot see even the shape of a resistance to any of this. I think that belief is even kind of seeping into the hearts of some Democrats, like the Biden supporters, uh, which is why I think you're seeing this sort of new moment where everyone's like, ah, maybe it's going okay. Maybe that yeah. Derek Brandon is rising because they kind of can't sit too long with the implications of that. So because, you know, things churn and all of a sudden here's a, a bunch of stories that you can, your mind can tell you says one thing, oh, things are going to get better because it can't handle sticking around with the deeper knowledge uh, that probably not. So you tell yourself a story, hey, things are getting better. And the thing is, you might be right. There's no way of knowing because you're just at the mercy. You're floating around on the sea. Uh, but things are happening below your line of sight. Uh, that can't figure into your understanding of things and that might make the total institutional paralysis of the Democrats not the death knell for resistance, but rather uh, it's it's birthing pains because its inability to actually articulate a response creates a vast opening that is going to be filled with something. I mean, that's just a, a fact of nature. Uh, the, 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 the thing that you know fills us with dread, but also we need to seriously consider uh, laminating with a little bit of hope uh, is going to come out of that. And we don't know what it's going to be yet. Yeah, the, the danger is that we end up with some form of like Strasserist version of American fascism. Well, the thing is, I don't buy that because I don't think, uh, because there is no left yet to, to need to be uh, neutralized with that, you know? Like, so it can't arise. It can only rise in response to an actual left movement. And I got to say, if that occurs... I don't think it will actually be effective. I think it will it will be limited to the, the strata it currently is, which is people who have scrambled their fucking brains with the internet. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a growing percentage of the US population, which is where the danger comes from. But it is still, thank God, not the majority by any stretch. And there are people out there who are not so poisoned as to not be able to see right in front of their face where their interests lie. Yeah, but they have to have a place where those interests are articulated, which does not exist now. We only have the Democrats telling us that it's actually communist Russian disinformation to say that anything's wrong. Right. 
Yeah, Tomas, we've seen this though. Like we've seen it. We have an analog that we can look to in like the seventies and eighties and nineties. Like there was, if it, like the rest of the country was talking about Cuba, but only down here in Miami were people sending bombs. Only down here were they blowing up magazines. Only down here were people getting gunned down in the streets. David, it's it's kind of like uh, David. David, I, I'll one up you, Xavier Suarez, who was the city of Miami mayor. Who, he's the father of Matt. You might know Francis Suarez, our crypto our mayor. Who mayor. Said that oh, God, the crypto mayor. Yeah. We would abolish city taxes because of Miami coin before it lost 99% of its value. Xavier Suarez, his father, when Nelson Mandela got out of jail, Nelson Mandela did a world tour and he made a stop in Miami. Now, the Miami Cubans were very, very angry at Nelson Mandela because Nelson Mandela was, of course, supportive of Fidel Castro. Obviously, the African National Congress was, you know, a socialist organization. Nelson Mandela the Army had more to do with ending apartheid than almost yeah. any other organization on Earth. Yeah. Angola, right, like the liberation of Angola, whatever. So when Nelson Mandela came to Miami, Xavier Suarez, the mayor, not only refused to shake his hand, he led a protest against Nelson Mandela, a world-acclaimed figure. He had just ended apartheid. And, you know, so we are like a global embarrassment. Yeah. And we always have been. Like this city is a global – We, I call it – I'm sorry. I hate to say it, I call it the toilet of Latin America. It's for like <laughs> the, the generals who like – their coup attempts the grifters come you know it's where you those it's are, a those, are our, those are our other house words yeah the, like the, the along with uh yeah a front to a front to god yeah, yeah. and decency yeah <laughs> yeah it's like a giant most Aisley space cantina <laughs> that's a great way of putting it i love the fact a little that, more like, humidity the, the, it's all condos it's all giant empty condos and some of them just decide to fall apart now they put them together with fucking bubble gum yeah yeah. Yeah, you can just be sleeping and then half of your building will just fall over because they put it together with fucking uh with thumbtacks. Yeah, the pedestrian bridge that turned out to that like caved in and fell on killed like I think 10 people across the street from our biggest university and um turned out that yeah, sure enough the uh Tomas, keep me keep me honest here. It was it was the county mayor at the time, his yes. brother's um construction firm that used all this the the substandard materials to build it in uh yeah. yeah kind of like overnight and then shocking when the huge cracks that were presenting weeks ahead of time just ended up crumbling and falling on like 20 cars it's, that's that's actually a pretty good that and surfside that matt just alluded to are like that's the prevailing feeling of how it is to be in miami like anything could fall on you and kill you at any given moment but like it still kind of just feels good like it just like, look feels nice you know that's Listen. the thing. It's a pleasant hell. You're like it's pleasant hell. Uh, it's all right. I'll, I'll have some rope of vieja. It'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen to this story. So I used to work construction, like ten years ago, right? And I worked in this one of the the, the mint building. It's one of these like luxury condos in 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 the Brickell area in downtown Miami. And when I, I was remodeling an apartment there, and there was drama in the building because they had just approved like the construction of an adjacent building that was going to block the view of the bay for the residents. And the residents were trying to organize the building to go to the city of Miami and like fuck with their zoning approvals. But the problem was that there were not enough residents actually living in the, the yeah. tower, in the condo. Because again, like Matt, like you said, like half of these buildings, when you look at them up at night, 
they're dark. They're unlit because it's a bunch of like Qatari, like Saudi, like Chinese. Yeah, it's because, it's because suitcases parking their money in these buildings. They're just buying property. Exactly. Suitcases full of money don't need light. They don't need any light to see because they're just suitcases filled with cash. So no, no, yeah. one, no one lives there. Like people point out uh, a, a lot of like uh, half bright uh, conservatives like to point out, you know, the market is an expression of people's real beliefs. And people keep buying all this uh, Miami real estate, which makes me think that they don't actually believe that there's any global warming. It's like, well, they don't have to live there. Right. They're not actually there. And they assume, oh, and, and if you told them, oh, this thing might get like destroyed by a hurricane or something, they'd be like, well, insurance will take care of it. And of course, if everyone claims it at once, the entire system collapses. But they cannot think that way. They can only think about their own narrow short-term interests. They can only conceive of the world in a jump on a lily pad of interested actions. Yeah. So that means that the, the, the calculus doesn't change no matter how sure you are uh, of climate change and, the, and the, the short time frame that Miami has is a viable fucking urban area. Yeah, and there's there's no way to have any of these conversations. Jer, actually, I know you wrote something about And also, it. oh, by the way, oh, I'll probably have sold it by then. Yeah, you'll flip it by then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jer, sure. I know that you had written a little bit about this, um, and maybe you just want to speak to it. Uh, the what that reminds me of is the conversations that like you cannot have a single conversation in Miami or in Florida about the COVID nineteen response without being sucked into New York did this, California did that. Oh, oh you yeah. think you think that you think that uh, you know taking the most basic common sense measures to you know uh, prevent the maximum amount of death. You think that that helps? asshole well why don't you look at new york because they did something i don't like or california they did something even though the numbers have kind of flipped ever since the proliferation of the vaccine but jer, jer well we, you you had written a little bit about that that we were going to talk about sure do you want me to jump in yeah if you want um yeah. it, sure so at the end of the last decade as covid ravaged through asia and europe into the united states florida would lead the nation in defeating the virus by pretending it doesn't exist in the hopes it would go away on its own Near months into the pandemic, no less than the Disney Corporation would signal Florida's glorious victory of the people over the worst pandemic in a century with a harrowing online video welcoming Americans home to Disney World, which would possibly have been an invitation to permanently destroy your life at Epcot in an even lamer way than is most common. A move to finally put Medicaid expansion on the ballot, which has been you know blocked since uh, Governor DeSantis. Wait, Jer, um, Matt, yeah. I don't know if you saw that those videos when they happened. There was literally like the it was giving the vibes of like. Uh, like Starship Troopers, little kid. I'm, I'm, I'm shipping in too. What is it? What is the line in Starship Troopers? Well, like, oh, I, where he's like, I'm doing my part. I'm doing my yeah. part. Yeah, yeah. It was, I'm it was that. But part. Disney, everybody in masks and saying like, we're doing our part. We're partying yeah. in Disney, yeah. and that's how we're defeating COVID. It was I mean, great. not, not, not dissimilar from after 9/11, where it's your duty to go on vacation and go, yeah, shopping go shop at the mall. Yeah, go to the mall. Don't be scared. Don't be a pussy. Sorry, Jerry. Go ahead. Sure. So um, I moved to finally put Medicaid expansion on the ballot, uh, which, you know, it's been blocked uh, ever since uh, Governor DeSantis refused the expansion um, starting uh, after, uh, what is it, the early 2010s, was delayed in 2020 by its organizing committee. And in 2022, a year after the Delta variant slingshot in Florida near the top of the U.S. for rate of COVID, de sorry, COVID deaths, the initiative failed to collect the required number of signatures to even get on the ballot at all. So to your point, Matt, like you said, you can't even see the flicker of a resistance to something as ghastly as being invited into a, a death carnival. Um, 
as you said, to, to do your part um, for the rest of the world. Anything like a solidaristic taking care of ourselves, taking care of each other, even just making sure that people have basic health coverage, couldn't even get the required signatures to get onto the ballot for a popular referendum in the first place. Yeah, and it's it's like what it's it's like it's also what you were talking about earlier, where it it's like that's just acquiescing to the point that like oh, there's this pandemic and we should treat it with some level of seriousness. Forget about like all the virtue signaling and the the, the mask arguments and all that shit. Just like let's all exist in the same reality that this thing is happening. You're making a political statement by by doing that. Like you're making you're taking your you yourself are virtue signaling by acknowledging that that this fucking thing even that 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 a pandemic even exists just like and and the story keeps changing with them like they'll they have a different narrative depending on you know what's what's expedient and what's not but for them to say what we should have just done is um is nothing we should have just let it happen and and you know let let the worst happen that is what they accused the chinese government of doing between november 2019 into early february 2020 so if it didn't work out over there, why is the, why are the laws of physics going to suspend themselves once it reaches the gates of, of Disney World? I'm, I'm fascinated to have somebody like Matt on because he's been, you know, now in California. He's he's uh, he was spent most, I think, most of the pandemic in New York. And the way that the rest of the country must look at Florida and the way that we like to the extent that they're paying any attention to Florida, the way that we um, handled the last two and a half years. It, it, it must be just the weirdest thing to, to, to try to digest. Like, what the fuck are they doing down there? And I don't have a great answer, honestly. No, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's America's fetid basement, and there's something growing. There's something fruiting. Uh, but we'll see what it is. <laughs> <laughs> President DeSantis. We're, I think we all, best case scenario, got to be honest, for people north of florida georgia line is is maybe they're hoping when time comes to it we can like cut it off yeah like like get gangrenous limb you could you could sell it i mean that's one thing we've gotten really good at Mm, selling now we're talking what could we sell it to bukele for fucking crypto bucks (laughs) (laughs) i mean you could turn into an archipelago of soccer stadiums and just let anyone who can afford a helicopter be ferried among the palace the palace intrigue between bukele and francis suarez would be like too much though oh yeah they would be It would, be, it would be like the Gelfs and the Ghibellines fighting each other over like yeah. this. Yeah, these city states, like in Northern Italy. Oh my God, it literally would be that. Oh uh, yeah, instead of House of Dragon, House of Crypto. No, like, no, yeah, yeah, it would be the so Targaryens uh, and the Valerians, like, like, the, like the Pope and the Holy Roman Emperor yeah. in Northern Italy. It'll be it'll be in the you know the Latin archipelago of yeah uh, casinos and dog dog tracks and soccer stadiums with helipads connecting them, and then these little. Uh, these little petty uh petty crypto kings uh, intriguing against one another i love the idea of like regional houses of crypto throughout miami yeah. and just yeah yeah the I, house I, of ethereum it. issues the following that is quo you don't have to imagine that that is what we live our mayor said that they were going to he said miami coin will lead to the abolishment of city taxes he said yeah. i envision <laughs> a future where we will no longer need city taxes and revenue to operate city services because of Miami coin. And then he said we were all going to get a Bitcoin dividend, which guess what, guys, we are abolishing the second law of thermodynamics. Yeah. (laughs) Time travel is possible. We, the, um, this was Tomas, the same time that he said that was when he was also, uh, crowing at the top of his lungs about 
Citadel LLC and Ken Griffin coming down here and saying that like, oh, these are the kind of my people that we want coming to Miami. Because if there's anything you know about a guy like Ken Griffin and, you know, hedge fund in general, it's that they improve places where they go. They make the city much better. And um, they're very like they're giving they're, they're eager very... to they're eager to pay their yeah. their share. You know, they they're love it. it's their favorite thing to do. And it's 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 great that the, and and that was the other sort of funny part of that is how Suarez tried to position a bunch of like grifters in crypto and uh, finance psychopaths and like hedge fund guys as the new tech utopia. Like, oh, Miami's going to become the next Silicon Valley because we're getting this specific flavor of scam artists and hedge fund managers that are going to come down here and bring their their workforces and their Lamborghinis. Yeah. You, you guys should really do an episode on uh, on Miami crypto shit because it's literally just... <laughs> it does uh, sound fascinating, I have to say. It's, it's yeah, horrific. This idea of, of like a new... Yeah, like a new medieval uh, guild war is very intriguing. Yeah, it's 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 the status quo. You don't you don't have to. Uh, yeah, we don't have to imagine. It's here. I guess the only question is then is like, presumably, if if DeSantis does you know try to enforce his will, uh, like Miami would would probably end up just becoming like a a, a free city, you know, yeah. like at the tip of, of the of the peninsula. So then does. Does the the rump of Florida does that have to <laughs> ally like with some extra state group in order to be uh, sustainable? What, what you're what you're what you're touching on is actually a, a an extant uh, condition of Florida conservatism right now. Is that like if if you are inside baseball like Tomas, you know that there's about four or five different striations of of like competing conservative i don't even want to call them ideologies just like groups just group like yeah it's just it's just a patronage yeah. network yeah, yeah yeah it's just with, rick, with, rick with, scott with, hates yeah. ron DeSantis, and they can't really say why they hate each other it's not any kind of ideological difference it's just uh you had my job there's only so much fucking there's only yeah. so much money there's only so much cream yep. and they're fighting over the cream because they all have people who depend on them for cream yeah and uh, matt, matt gates too but that's a different kind of cream that. Oh, <laughs> <Bazing>. <laughs> um, so look, we've taken up an hour of your time, Matt. We really appreciate you being, um, you know, uh, yeah, this was lovely. Thanks, you guys. Help, helpful yeah. by yeah, Matt, jumping in, Matt. What's it. before we go? What's your what's your expectation for the Florida show? The one and only. We only got you for for one. It's our Halloween one. show. Uh, we're hoping to be in some sort of costume. Yes, uh, and. Uh, we don't know yet. It's 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 all we usually plan right before. Uh, we'll probably have some prepared stuff. I know there'll be some film. We have like a, a new cartoon, uh, and we also have. I think we'll have an opening act. I'm not sure if they've been determined yet. Uh, and whatever we say will never be recorded. We're not going to release any of these as live episodes. So Smart if movie. you aren't there, you can't hear it. Okay. So check it out. Trapotraphouse.com is where you can find the tickets. And also they have a lot of merchandise up there and you can subscribe to the show. Um, and you can follow Matt at Kushbomb on Twitter. Uh, anything else that we should uh, let the fine folks know about, Matt? Uh, that's it. Uh, I, I'm also a Twitch streamer. I'm a sicko. Oh, that's right. Uh, grill, the the grill vlog. Yeah. Yeah. Listen to that whenever, whenever you so can. So check that out if you really want to be uh, mentally normal. Yeah. <laughs>